Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for your time. Today, we head overseas to a guest who has what I believe will be one of the most interesting jobs in government communication anywhere in the world. But before we come to our guest, we start as we do each week with the definition of content communication. So we all know exactly what it is that we're talking about. So content communication is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to our guest this week, his name is Martin Wallace, and he is the Chief Digital Officer of the newly created Scottish Local Government Digital Office. His task is to change the way local councils engage with citizens in Scotland through the use of technology. He is currently working with 27 of the local councils uh, in Scotland, and he joins me now. Martin, thanks very much for joining me in Transition. Hi, thank you very much. Hey, just to, just to get started, I suppose, at that sort of larger sort of contextual level with the changes that have been happening in the UK and the, the ongoing discussions at those, at those higher levels, just how much is context important in terms of the way that you're going about communicating your story about digital transformation? I think, I mean, if you look at the UK, or Scotland in particular, obviously where I work, we have ageing population, we have reductions in budgets for local authorities over the next two to three years, and then we've got the rise of Brexit happening at some point as well, which will put more pressures on on the councils. And uh, basically, we've got to do more with less and deliver you know, outcomes and services for the citizen but with reduced costs. So digital, or my job with being Chief Digital Officer, is to look at how technology can support those outcomes. So obviously that context is massively important in terms of you delivering the outcomes that you're looking for. Massively so. I mean, some people might see digital technology as cuts, but in fact it's actually an enabler to help get them a better standard of life while still being able to, to, to function with council services. So given that they are, that is your context and they are the challenges, and I think you've, you've described that um, very clearly, and indeed it's, it's the eternal lament of probably everyone working in government <laughs> communications around the world that we are being asked to do more with less. Just what sort of a, a hearing are you getting at, at the moment as you go about to the, to the councils trying to encourage them to, um, to adopt more digital technologies? I think the biggest challenge is culture. And traditionally, you know, we've got masses of council services. We do things in certain ways. And there's a massive, massive change in approach and thinking to then go down the digital route. Some see it as fanciful. Some see it as kind of eye candy. But there is actually sort of true value can be derived from digital technology. 
I mean, the thing is, it doesn't have even have to be complex. Even just something like communicating through text messages, because text messages are obviously a very, very, very simple technology. They can have maximum effect. Um, I mean, just slightly out with councils in a previous role, I worked with a, an NHS, a hospital down south in England, where they used text messages to remind people to take statins. So it prevented the people actually having to be admitted to hospital um, because they were able to sort of remind themselves for taking medicine at particular times in the day. So how is it at the moment that when you are going around to these various councils and you're sitting in front of someone who's looking at you thinking, this is impossible, um, as you say, this is just a bit of eye candy, this is not something that, uh, you know, that I believe that we could reasonably integrate into our service offering. How do you go about um, the process of convincing that person that, some level of test or experimentation might be a good idea? I think, I mean, if, if you have um, a conversation around what, you know, smartphone they use and what's their favourite apps or how do they, you know, work with their bank just now or how do they shop, they will see that digital has already disrupted other markets. So the question is, why can't they bring the lessons learned from those markets into local government? I mean, traditionally, we've seen... Big changes in the high street in the UK. We've seen a lot of demise of big brand names. I mean, across in Australia, you still have Woolworths. We lost Woolworths several years ago because they didn't change with the times of the digital age. So I think by bringing sort of other examples of how digital can actually touch their lives can actually have them to think differently in terms of how digital can actually do something different in local authorities as well. But do they think that government is different to the high street and different to these other industries that have been disrupted? Yeah, I think there's that traditionalist view of we do it this way because we are government and we can't change. And don't get me wrong, my my background has been private sector. I've worked for large telecommunications companies. I've worked for mobile phone manufacturers in the past. I've worked for IT companies. So it traditionally, it's, it's, my, it's my bread and butter. It's, it's my background. But I think if they don't embrace digital technology, then somebody else will come and do it to them. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big issue that has to be looked at just now. So you, you're working across a large number of, of councils at the moment. Whereabouts are you having your most success in terms of introducing the new services? I think all councils are ready to embrace it. I think it's just getting that mindset to actually go and do something. Um, the, the, word, the word I hate the most is hearing pilot. I mean, I've joked before, I've seen more pilots in British Airways <laughs> in some instances in the past. But I think if, if we change that pilot culture to version one, something we actually have to build on and actually make replicable around the, around the piece. I mean, ideally, what I would like to do is do something once and replicate it 32 times, as in 32 local authorities in Scotland, rather than the, the existing method, which seems to have been in some instances, we do something 32 times and replicate it only once. I mean, we don't have the money, we don't have the budgets, we don't have the timescales to actually do that old-style method. So therefore, doing things like um, agile methodology, prototyping has to be the way forward to actually make a difference. But trying to achieve that level of teamwork across that number of councils, I imagine, would be extremely difficult because I'm sure you get told every day (laughs) that we're different. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, I... If you actually look at what a local authority does, there's no real difference about collecting bins in Dumfries and Galloway in the borders of Scotland 
to collecting bins in Orkney, which is one of the islands <laughs> across the top of Scotland. But I think it's, it's just trying to find that commonality of something that actually makes a big difference. I mean, in, in Scotland, we have 32 local authorities. I've got 27 local authorities on this programme, though I will have two others announced very, very shortly. So I'll have 29 out of 32. Um, but out of those 32 local authorities, I've got um, nine affected by a, a, a solutions provider's announcement that they're pulling out of the market in 2020, which gives me some nine councils that have to do something now to get better outcomes in three years' time. So by having a common purpose should actually help sort of derive a better value out of collaboration um, out of the way. So, yeah. But should that – well, that is probably a pretty good example of when you're trying probably to get 32 or 27 who are signed up at the moment, that that would be extremely difficult. But perhaps that nine might might offer you a really good opportunity to try to, to get in there and be able to trial something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when I started, there was nine kind of challenges given to myself, and I have only been in the role for six months, I might add. It's not as, it's not as if I had a long, long time in this. Um, so it's a massive, massive learning curve for me, obviously, given my background in private sector. But it's it's trying to find that commonality. And I was given nine items to look at. By Christmas, I had 50 uh, <laughs> consultations with the councils. When I went back to my board and said, what's the priorities? They said, all of them. So... <laughs> I'm not a magician, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but um, going back to my board in January, we derived down to about 17, 18 different programmes, which we've just finished off the project briefs on, and we'll be going out to create cohorts um, within the councils okay. to work on. So we're looking for a minimum of three councils, say, per programme to actually get the, the value out of it. But it's still, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot of work. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've kind of broken it down to three main columns um, or, or three main kind of pro, uh, programs of work, should I say, or, or, or themes, which is digital leadership. So looking at the skill sets, the culture, um, what do we have to do at the kind of the, the overall kind of cultural level across all the councils? We've got digital services, which is looking at the service redesign, and every single service we are going to look at will be co-designed with the citizen and the end user plus the staff. Um, and then the last part is digital foundation, which is the platform. So looking at the technology stack and the things that need to support that kind of that that overall transformation within the councils. I mean, I, I sometimes call it a cake. We've got three layers of the cake, and then the, the two cherries on top of the cake, or the destination point would be digital um, council. So having a council flexible for any circumstance, and then digital place. And digital place is basically where data sets will talk to each other to drive better outcomes for the citizens. So things such as integrating with police, fire, third sector organisations, even private sector organisations if necessary, obviously um, giving the, the citizen control over that data and what they share. But you can drive better values by having kind of common data sets that talk and, and being able to, to work together in a more collaborative manner. Now, obviously, that's the, the, the future state. But mm-hmm. when you've gone out and done build these business cases that you're looking at the moment or project cases around these, you know, three key areas. In the, each of those three key areas, could you just give us your assessment of the current state as, as to where people are but, you know, and maybe start with that level of skill and understanding, that ability to be able to apply um, the new digital technologies? Yeah, in leadership we actually have a skills track in there because skills is obviously very, very crucial 
I mean, Deloitte had put out a report back in October uh, last year, three weeks into my new role, to say that 85,000 jobs would go within the next 15 years in Scottish public sector due to artificial intelligence. Now, that puts a big, big scare on people yeah. that, that are going to lose their job. But if you actually look at the, the basics of it all, you know, if, if we also look at predictions from technologists, within the next two years, we won't have any admin roles left. We'll have data analysts. So we have to make sure we equip the staff into that into that role now rather than later. But and this, you know, the, the other flip side of that one is if we look at streamlining business processes and platforms at the back end, then we can redeploy people into frontline services roles where we actually need that interaction with the public for people that need the, the services the most. So it's you know it's it, it's you're never ever going to lose your job you know at the end of the day jobs yeah. just evolve we are you know the industrial revolution has has come on a long way and now we're the digital revolution that's just a that I don't know what the next thing will be the artificial intelligence revolution yeah I don't know I, I can't chat predict bots. that far Ch- chatbots yeah, everyone chat. will, everyone will be interacting <laughs> with a with a chatbot well we we are seeing a lot more of those things rise in, in, in other sectors just now with chatbots but you know at the end of the day we can redeploy people back into that that face to face role which is more value than than sitting moving spreadsheets around so so how then and I know that you've sort of you've got it down to 17 you know pr- projects you know three different areas but still where do you believe is the where is the first step or where is the first place that you've got to go to make a difference in order to enable this you know improvement of of services for the community um, through the local governments in in Scotland I think that the first thing is is, is the can do piece it's the skills and the culture yeah i think you know when we look across any public sector organization in any part of the world there's always horror stories of bad implementations of it projects or things have overran or things have not sort of turned out the way that that they've happened and i think that's underpinning you know whatever we do with agile methodology so doing things pre-discovery discovery beta alpha and then live in small stages means we can keep testing and keep checking that we've got the right things. Traditional methods of waterfalls, so say, for instance, we're looking for, I don't know, say a social work system. Ideally, what we would do in the past would be create a big, massive functional spec, go yeah. out to market, award it, and then the supplier would win. The supplier would then implement it. Say it takes two years to implement. At the end, they sign it off, and lo and behold, the business process or the policy or legislation's changed. Yeah. Um, and therefore we're back to square one or the, the supplier says, well, actually, do you know what? It wasn't in the original contract, so therefore it's going to cost you X thousands yeah. or hundred thousands yeah. of pounds to change. Yeah. So doing things in an agile method helps approach that. So I think that that skill set and that mindset has to be there first. And I think there'll be some sort of low-hanging fruit and small wins yeah. just to start to prove that methodology does work in the public sector is the way forward. Yeah. So in terms of that, you know, that building that culture, how, how are you going to go about doing that? So we're having innovation work streams, skill sets. We're talking to HR managers to look at, well, what's the future view? What do we actually need in the workplace to support what we need to do? And then working back in terms of what do we have to have in skills? And I think from that piece is working with other organisations in public sector in Scotland. So, for instance, Scottish Government, um, looking at what's being done in third sector organisations and just trying to create that kind of a best value practice 
um, for skills development in Scotland around yeah. local government. But it, well, and it's not unique to Scotland. We had uh, on the podcast uh, over the last couple of weeks. We've been speaking to Sean Larkins from uh, WPP, and they did a, a, a major piece of research. Uh, around government communication globally. And this particular issue of skills uh, mm-hmm. was identified really as one of the main uh, factors holding back, uh, you know, the communication function is that mo- a lot of people in government um, don't have the skills. And this is, in, as I say, in the communication function and that's looking at more towards being able to manage issues through, through media um, and through advertising, but you know, drawing a line through it, I think that there's this a, a paucity of skills, not only through digital services, but through content creation um, and distribution as well. So I, th- I think it's a it, it it's a long way before we're going to get to um, you know that ideal state that we talk about. And mm-hmm. you know, is there that patience there? Do you think within um, the cohort that you're dealing with that they know that these things aren't going to happen in five minutes? Yes, absolutely. I think every public sector organisation has has got challenges around policies, constraints, privacy, security, and it's just trying to sort of map out exactly well, what's the destination point and work backwards. Or as Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. So I think just having that that vision of what what is the outcome you want, and then working back in terms of what the challenges we have to overcome. Um, it's not. It's not going to be done overnight. It's, there's no way because it's a massive, massive yeah. you know, sector to, to, to do, and you know you have to be realistic in terms of timescales. You know, I would love to. I'm, I'm somebody that likes to get things done quickly, but you know, it's been a massive learning curve for me coming into to public sector about in terms of the policy and the constraints that sometimes happen. That it might take a little bit longer than usual, but as long as everybody's on board then we should be able to achieve what we want to achieve. Now, I'm intrigued by your transition from uh, private sector to public sector. What motivated it? Personal reasons um, from perspective of my ageing parents, um, okay. but also just wanting to do something different. My mother has uh, multiple sclerosis and has done for many, many years and confined to a wheelchair. And my dad has had a kind of a long-term chest complaint. It's not nothing serious in terms of cancer, but um, has had issues and difficulties with that. And then last year, uh, my dad took a stroke. And just seeing it from kind of the, the elderly parents piece and trying to get them support when they needed it most, kind of thought, you know what? You could actually do something a bit more streamlined digitally than the, the unjoined up approach that I, I saw and witnessed with, with both my parents. Yeah. Um, but also just just terms of it's a big big challenge. Why not? Why not? Why not have a a nice a nice thing to go and do and and, and do something different for for the whole of Scotland. Yeah. Well, and, and and making that transition. So you've sort of take day one. You've walked into your new job. Uh, tell me, uh, after <laughs> you haven't been there for long, but what are those changes? What are those differences that you've seen that that you've found? Um, I suppose some of the, you know, and, and how have they been explained to you that you know these are the constraints and you're just going to have to live with it? Well, I think I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't realise how hard it was going to be. I think that's that's one thing. I think the second thing is that it's it's as a massive challenge. It's a moving feast, and I think there's a lot of private sector. When you're in private sector, you, you don't really respect. Um, well, I certainly didn't in some instances what public sector actually does or local government does. 
there's some it's a myriad of different services and in some or most cases they're actually keeping people alive and out of danger um and you don't actually really think about that because you could be selfish thinking yeah. well they just pick up my bins they, they, <laughs> they fix potholes in the road or they change a light where actually they're dealing with the 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 the, the most needy people in society which really need support to, to be able to sort of live day to day and you know, coming in to, to that piece and then getting under the under the bonnet, so to speak, of different organ you know services and organisations within local government, it's actually quite humbling to actually realise what they do. So it has been a massive learning curve, and I think for me, where traditionally I've I've, I've been able to do things at, at at pace, at speed, especially in the the, um, the telecommunications company I worked for, um, to come here and then find out actually we can't quite do that because we've got to deal with this policy. And this legislation and this law, and then we've got to sort of consider the security um, and a bit more tighter control. It's it's yeah, it's it's, it's an eye opener, um, but you know, thoroughly enjoyable in trying to work out how we can deal with the challenges. And how and how have you found you know the receptiveness to change when you're when you're there and you're saying, well, look, you know, here are some ideas. You know, how receptive have people been to that? Mixed, I think. Yeah. Um, the fear is that uh, digital is going to take their job away, and I totally and utterly understand that. I, I get that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not daft, but at the same time, it's, it's trying to think of the bigger outcome. It's trying to think of the citizen. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are, we are working for local government, but at the same time, we're also citizens as well. So, you know, what best experiences do I want to do? I mean, I was 40 recently. I feel as if I'm about 60, but I was 40 <laughs> very, very recently. The, the midlife crisis early. Um, but I think, you know, when I retire in 20-odd years or so, maybe later, given current legislation on uh, on, on pensions, <laughs> but uh, when I retire, how do I, how do I want to interact with my yeah. you know, NHS, my social work department, etc.? I mean, the, the good example, of going back to sort of my personal circumstances with my mum and dad, um, when my dad had his stroke last year, um, my dad reads newspapers um, all the time. Doesn't really kind of do the, the online news reading yet because he thinks it's uh, it's fake news. <laughs> Don't know if you've heard that before. Um, but my dad, my dad asked some key questions when he was filling in his twelfth form in hospital, paper based form. Says, "Why can't I have a Netflix experience?" <laughs> and you know, for a seventy year old man to turn around and say that, I was like, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well." Why don't I fill in a form once and then I'm served up other content on, well, if you like this this form, then you should be looking at this form and this form and just take a box and I'll fill it for you. And I thought, that, that's really quite cool. Um, for a, you know, my, yeah. my dad saying that. Not not that I'm saying that anything in my office has actually come from my dad, may I add. It's, it's actually my own thinking with my team, not my dad. Yeah. But, you know, the, 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 the adage is the citizen wants more out of local government and, and digital. Um, so how, how, how do we make that happen? How do we make that a reality? Would you agree that it's it's happening fast? And again, it's a, it's a story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I visited one of my well, she's almost ninety year old aunt, and she's a fanatic on mm-hmm. Facebook. She's on there all the time because she sees it as a great way to stay in touch with everyone, all of her children and her nieces and nephews and grandchildren, and she's always you know liking things and commenting on different things. And I just it, it's surprising me at, at the pace that older people are picking up digital technology once they get the hang of it. No, absolutely. I think it's it's an expectation now. You know, we yeah. do with it every, sing, every single day of our lives. And I think the, the, the way this has happened is 10 years ago with the rise of the, the iPhone. 
you know, we expect things to be smartphones. You know, the, the catalyst for digital transformation from from my previous life that we still see today is the rise of smartphone, faster network speeds, cloud computing, and cloud computing can be AI, business intelligence, um, you know, IoT sensors linked into that cloud system. Yeah. Um, so there is that expectation from the citizen to do things. And as I said earlier, you know, we expect this from, say, using Amazon or Uber or Airbnb. You know, we've seen that transformation happen in other sectors. So now is the time is right to do local government as well. Now, in terms of this podcast, we, we focus very much on, on content and the role that content can play um, to in, inform and engage um, with citizens, be it to produce better policy, to inform them about services. What are your thoughts about where you're going to take uh this the content piece of your puzzle once you've got your you know your services your processes your your platform in place you've got the culture um whereabouts are you going to to fit the the content piece of the puzzle so i've just awarded a provider in glasgow um to build my website last week um but i think it's a multi-channel approach um so we've got a, a system across here called k-hub um, in fact, I think you can, you can use it anywhere around the world. It's actually funded um, by a company in the UK. But K-Hub's a kind of repository where you can collaborate and work on different um, items and, and projects by setting up groups. So we've got some stuff on there just now in terms of um, the programme. We've got small teams within councils looking at pulling together, helping us with the project briefs. We've also got pieces being looked at um, through social media, so using Twitter, uh, LinkedIn groups and um, and the website just to have that open approach. I mean, everything we do we'll share with the with, with the partners and then the wider context in terms of case studies of how we've done it, what was the approach, um, you know, what you need to look at and how to do it. So, you know, content is absolutely key in getting the messages out to yeah. make sure that everybody can sort of buy into it. And I think also having the citizen engagement. So I have got a couple of pro- um, projects in the programmes um, for what I call digital eye candy, but there's a there's a benefit at the back of it. But some things in terms of headline grabbing um, uh, to, to what we're actually doing in terms of well, look, the digital revolution's here, and this is how it's going to transform local government. So you know, this is this is what we can, this is what is actually achievable if we work together and co-design it with the citizen and, and other other parties that need to be involved in this. Yeah. No, it's one of the great opportunities and we're seeing that certainly here in Australia in this notion of co-design um, mm. around policy um, very much. Because now that, you know, there is that opportunity to be able to publish, to get it out to a wider um, audience than previously, you know, people who used to be involved in the development of policy. You know, there were the usual suspects who you would go out and ask and they would give you their their views, be they an association or whoever else, whereas now there's a, a much a uh, greater opportunity to get, you know, much more diverse uh, input. And we've seen quite a number of examples here where, you know, they've sought wider input and it's led to better policy outcomes because, again, it's been co-designed with the, um, with the, that specific audience uh, in, in mind. Uh, then sort of longer term, though, in terms of the, sustain, the sustainment of content, being able to use the channels and being able to um, produce that video content, audio content to distribute it, to listen, to then incorporate those insights. How do you see that sort of taking place um, down the path? Do you think that there'll be a greater role um, for people with communications backgrounds um, as part of the the future that you're building? 
Yeah, I think, you know, you have to tell stories. Policies don't speak for themselves. It's actually having a story of how that actually impacts the individual or citizen. And I think having that story kind of written out, spoken out, videoed, communicated in any way, shape or form is crucial in terms of the success of what digital can actually do. Um, some people hear digital and think it's very, very technical and yeah. very cumbersome. Um, so actually having this story, so for instance, I said earlier on, you know, a hospital using a text message to remind people to take statins so they didn't get admitted into a hospital is a very, very simple message. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than the policy behind that was, well, we have to reduce X number of admissions per per night and we have to make sure we have this amount of care and this, you know, this amount of portion of budget. That's boring. You have to make it sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very difficult in some instances in councils. How do you make collecting bins sexy? Yeah. Um, but, you know, ha- having a story using smart bins, for instance, where a sensor in the bin tells it's full, which then goes back to base to send the, 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 the local bin man who's nearest in to go and collect that bin or empty that bin, so to speak, it's a bit more interesting than saying, well, actually, we've got this bin that's overflowing and it's recycling, yawn. You know, <laughs> you have to get that story right yeah. to, to, to make it engaging yeah. uh, so people buy into the concept in the yeah. first place. Yeah, yeah, no question at all. I, I, I think that notion of relevance and and getting, you know, reaching into the hearts and, you know, not only the minds and the hands of people but getting them to, to sort of engage because as you tell that story about the uh, – you know the text messages. You know I can I can hear that. I can see that. I can I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore, you know, I'll remember that now as as a story, as opposed to as you say, like a, a quite a, you know, a dry piece of policy and the reasons behind it. And you know, I don't know about you, but um, I'm sure that you know I've just come from a day of it, sitting down, sort of wading through um, a manual and trying to turn it from, <laughs> uh, you know, double speak into English. You know, just try, trying to turn it into a language that, and it was amazing just how complex it was in the written form. But then, I think I'm 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 getting there. I'm, I'm getting. It's like it's hard work, um, because often I know when I go back and pitch, you know, take it in tomorrow, I'm going to be told, oh well, no, but you haven't put that in, and you haven't put that in, and that bit's not there, and that's not quite right, and that's not the technical term that we use, and so it's a battle. But um, it's, a, it's a battle worth having, I think. And I think as we, uh, with this particular client, we've introduced a few, uh, a few changes to the way that they've been doing things in the past and they're immediately starting to see uh, reaction. And I think that's mm-hmm. the key, isn't it, is, is getting those quick wins up, building a bit of credibility and then once you get the credibility, then you can have you can start to engage in deeper conversations about the changes that do need to take place. Absolutely. But I think it's even getting down to the, the, the basics of even presentations. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, sat, I've sat through PowerPoints, which are just <laughs> dull. Um, so for you know, whenever I open up, you, know, you can probably tell from, from, from speaking, I'm, I'm quite shy, not. Um, so whenever I do presentations, traditionally I used to have uh, you know, on the very front uh, screen, uh, slide one of 564. <laughs> and you would actually see the audience's <laughs> horror um, before I started, you know, doing the presentation about this. And I would actually make, a, make, make light of it and say, actually, this is true. Um, and, I, and I don't have any pictures. I've got a dodgy YouTube video that I can't get connectivity in here. Um, so if you just sit down, I speak faster as I get excited. Uh, I'll take you through a journey about digital transformation. And you see people just horrified in terms of what's coming next. 
Um, but you know the, the the message is lost in the action. Yeah. I think uh, you know have, having using PowerPoint as little as possible and actually telling stories yeah. is is the way forward for for for, for comms in this space because um, everybody can relate. And ju- just thinking there as well, um, a previous role and something I'm, I will be bringing into to, to a council uh, near you soon, so to speak, um, is I created a a bit of a. Controversy in in England. Um, a couple of housing associations working with. Um, we looked at using drones for roof inspections and storm damage, oh, yeah. and um, the the housing association called it Drone Gate because <laughs> they had uh, some of the citizens complaining about privacy, yeah, thinking yeah. they were using cameras to peer into the to, to the rooms, which is not the case. Um, and there was also then health and safety officers. Uh, getting involved in terms of cutting people's heads off. I mean, come on, the, the blades are not the size of a helicopter. But the comms was kind of lost in the message of, oh, drone's bad, and because you've seen sci-fi movies, thinking yeah. you're going to get shot or something. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the reality was that drones are, are being used down south and will be in, in councils in Scotland soon yeah. for doing building inspections in a, a more productive manner. Because um, what they were doing was putting up scaffolding yeah. at 500 to 1,000 pounds per day um, to go up to a roof to then look at it, to then take it down, to go and get the, the tiles or stuff they needed to go and do, to then go and do the job. Whereas a drone could be deployed within minutes to go and have a look at the roof or look at the building, make the assessment, and then they would put the scaffolding up once and then do that work there and then. And it just, it just saves time, money, and also safety, having scaffolding up for long periods of time. So, you know, a simple drone would do that, but the messages were just hilarious in terms of health and safety regulation and privacy. Just like, come on. Yeah, but again, you know, know, but, but it's this this notion, isn't it? Is, you know, work health and safety, because the messages yeah. around wealth, workplace health and safety to individual people are, this is your responsibility. So if, yeah. you know, if something goes wrong, you're in the gun for it. And, you know, this notion of, yeah, change, it's, it's, it's hard for people, but... Look, I think one day at a time. Um, you know, yeah, I think, think we will we will you know collaboratively, collectively go through. Um, there will be great successes. Um, there will be resistance to change. But uh, uh, thanks, thanks for your story because I think it will motivate people to to not get too, I suppose. Um, I don't know, down in the mouth about not being able to make change overnight. And I think the fact that you've come in from the, the public sector and you've maintained your uh, motivation because it comes from the right place. And I think often people working in public sector are driven by mission. They're driven by purpose, just as you are. And and I think that we need to keep that mission and purpose close to us on a daily basis to remind ourselves about why we're doing this. And then as we as we make the change over time, um, and we'll strengthen communities, we'll improve the well-being of citizens, and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, contribute to a, a better society all around. Because heaven knows we need it. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Okay, Martin. Well, mate. Uh, listen, how might people stay in touch with you or stay in touch with the journey of digital transformation in local government in, in Scotland? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at digital underscore mw. Um, or find me on LinkedIn at Martin with a Y Wallace W A W L A C E, 
Um, no relation, I don't think, to William Wallace, the famous <laughs> Braveheart, but you never know. Still to do that family history piece. Um, but yeah, you know, find me on Twitter, hook up with me on Twitter. I'm more than happy to have conversations. Yeah. Um, and uh, hopefully I can come back across to Australia. It's been six years since I was last over. Very good. And uh, maybe, maybe meet you face to face next no, time soon well, as well. No, that'd be fantastic. And it'd be great for you to come back over and, and bring bring some, um, you know, some examples, some case studies. So, you know, because again, yep. you know, your, your experience is the experience experience of many so uh and i think if we can continue to uh you know share tell stories hopefully uh there's a lot of learning that we can sort of encourage between uh countries and uh changes will come so martin thank you very much for, for joining us and to you uh the listener thank you very much for joining us once again a great chat there with martin wallace doing wonderful things as the chief digital officer there with the scottish local government digital office so thank you very much for your time again this week and i will be back at the same time next week so it's bye for now you've been listening to in transition the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector for more visit us at contentgroup.com.au.